Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode 17 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I am truly honored to be picking the brain of Sramana Mitra. Sramana is the founder of One Million by One Million, the first global virtual accelerator headquartered in Silicon Valley, which aims to nurture a million entrepreneurs to reach a million dollars each in annual revenue and beyond, thereby creating a trillion dollars and 10 million jobs. She has been featured in Forbes, Inc., Time, the Harvard Business Review, TechCrunch, and many other media outlets. Sermana is also an author of several books on entrepreneurship and has been named LinkedIn's number 10 top influencer. Sermana, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Hi, Dan. Great to be here. Wow, I'm really excited to find out how you plan on helping startups create millions of dollars in revenue. But first, can you take us back to your upbringing? What was it like growing up? Well, I grew up in a very large city called Calcutta in India. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, uh, you know, it was in the 1970s and 80s. So it was pre-liberalization India. India was not the big business and economic force that it is now become and, and gradually becoming more or more and more. So it was a slow country, slow economy. And, and a lot of us were leaving to, um, you know, seek opportunities elsewhere. So I uh, left in 1989 to come to college in the U.S. and uh, pursued all my education here and basically stayed in, in the U.S. for the last 26, 27 years. Did your family join you when you came or did you go? No, my own? parents still live in Calcutta. I, have a, I grew up in a huge extended family, so we do have still a very large extended family in Calcutta. I came alone. Wow. So you, you grew up in how many people lived in, in with you? Oh, we lived in a in an extended family with 25 family members and plus household staff all living in one property. Wow, you had 25 people living in one place and you yeah. grew up in wow, it's exactly more like 50 people with all the staff and everybody. Staff as well. Oh my. <laughs> Dude, that's incredible. So, tell me a little bit about how what was it like when you first came to US? Was it a bit of a culture shock? I mean, how did you uh integrate and then and then build yourself up to where you are? I mean, well, it's impressive. Uh, when you come to the US from a developing country and and by the way, we are talking about an a time when the internet was not there, there was no email, phone calls were very mm-hmm. expensive. The Today, it feels much more fluid. You know, when you're making a transition to a different culture, a different country, it's not as stark. But at the time, it was much more stark and much more, much less communication with your, you know, home and so forth. So it was, uh, in that sense, it was very new and very different. I went to New England to Smith College Mm -hmm. in uh, Western Massachusetts, and it was a very beautiful place. And, uh, you know, the U.S. higher education system is fabulous. So you get a, get an incredible education and, you know, exposure to levels of equipment, levels of, you know, experiences that are really fascinating and, and powerful. So I took advantage of that and made my way to MIT for grad school. Um, I published my bachelor's research work and got into MIT and did research there. And, and while I was a graduate student at MIT, I founded my first company. So uh, it was not really 
you know, going to work for other people and so forth. I've, I've actually only worked for myself. I've done four companies as founder, CEO, and, and in between the third and the fourth, I did 10 years of consulting. So my career is a, is a bit of an unusual career in that sense. It's very interesting. I mean, how did those companies do the four that you built up? Two were acquired and one uh, didn't work during the dot-com crash. So, uh, and then I'm running the fourth one right now. So that's in a sum, in, in a nutshell, that's the... What industries were the two that got acquired? What industries were they in? They were all in software and, you know, at that time, mostly internet-related stuff. I've that's done amazing. Most, all internet-related stuff, actually. Right. I noticed, so you're very prolific on LinkedIn. In fact, as I mentioned in the, in the intro, you were named LinkedIn's number 10 top influencer. Now, just to, just to put that into context, Bill Gates and Richard Branson are amongst some of the huge names in that top 10 list, and you happen to be number 10. How have you managed that? That's incredible. Well, you know, you don't manage things like that. You kind of very systematic build up to things. Um, Well, I I have been a prolific writer in the entrepreneurship realm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started blogging way back in 2005. And the Mm. blog became popular very quickly. I got invited to write a column for Forbes back in 2000. Seven, end of 2007, so 2008 to 2010, I had a column in Forbes. Mm-hmm. Um, and subsequently, I've had columns everywhere, Wired, HBR, all kinds of places, syndicate columns. LinkedIn mm-hmm. started the influencer program a couple of years back, I think, two or three years back. And uh, they invited me to participate, and, and I started contributing to LinkedIn. And again, it became popular. You know, I write well. I write substantial stuff. <laughs> How many people are on LinkedIn right now? LinkedIn is 400 million plus, I think. 400 million. So out of 400 million, you're ranked in the top 10. That's just incredible. I mean, I, I'm, I'm blown away by that. I've, I looked at your post. You've got about, well, today you've got 551 posts on LinkedIn. I mean, that's a lot of content. I mean, first of all, have you written all of them yourself? Yeah, we have a research team, though, that works with, I have a content team that does a lot of research. So these posts, if you actually read those posts, Mm-hmm. A lot of them are heavily researched posts. Some are right. opinion pieces and so forth, but we also write heavily researched posts with lots of, you know, market data, market research, etc. So, so all that is impossible for me to do alone. So I do have a research team team that works with me on the content. So content, I mean, just to kind of go one level above where mm-hmm. we are discussing this, content is a very big piece of our strategy. So part of the mission of One Million by One Million, as you pointed out is to help a million entrepreneurs reach a million dollars and beyond in annual revenue. And media Mm -hmm. is a big part of how we execute on that mission. We are spreading a lot of the wisdom of entrepreneurship, knowledge and education and inspiration through the media. So it is a part of our business to produce the content and to distribute the content through our various partnerships as well as our own channels. So that is why there is such an emphasis on producing great, relevant content for technology entrepreneurship. So that leads me to my next question, really, which is, why have you chosen to invest your time and your effort writing posts on LinkedIn instead of your own blog? We do write it on, on our own blog. LinkedIn is not, uh, LinkedIn is, as far as we are concerned, is yet another syndication partner. We have other syndication partners as well. We do Medium, we do Huffington Post, uh, you know, variety of other 
places that we syndicate content to. LinkedIn is just one of those. But it, it, at this point, it's one of the most important ones because our audiences are so well aligned. Everybody that we would want to work with, every entrepreneur in the technology, technology-enabled services realm is on LinkedIn. Right. So, but, so, so just to get this clear for our listeners, people listening in, so you're not actually writing the, you're not just producing it on LinkedIn, you're writing it, you're producing it on your blog, then you're copying it from your blog and you're syndicating it, as you said, into different sources. So in other words, essentially, even if LinkedIn was to say one day, do you know what, we don't want Pulse anymore and they get rid of all of the posts, you would still have all that content sitting on your, on your website. Absolutely. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. Okay, so that makes sense now. That makes more sense. When you say that you also syndicate in the Huffington Post and other media outlets, first of all, how do you get into those outlets? Because a lot of people listening will say, well, Hulk, come on. I mean, how am I supposed to get into those big names? That's number one. And number two is why would they want content that you've already written and posted on your, on your blog? Isn't that duplicate content that is going to harm their website for SEO? No. There is absolutely no no pushback on duplicate content. In fact, they welcome good content. And and, and the real operating word, uh, Dan, is our content is absolutely fabulous. <laughs> right. <laughs> you 100%. know, yeah, very very serious. This um, the the work we do has very serious writing credentials. And uh, right. you know, been around. We've been doing this for a long time. And you know, as I told you, Forbes, Harvard Business Review, Seeking Alpha syndicates our technology stock coverage. There's so there's a you know it's a very very credible body of work that has a brand of its own. So somebody, let's say one of our listeners here. He decides to write a very valuable piece of content. He researches and he produces a good piece of content. How would they then go about syndicating it to all of these platforms? Well, you know, the way we did it uh, was I, you know, started blogging and, and everything started from the blog. The blog was really good and, and everything kind of went from the blog to everything everywhere else. So in my journey, it was first the blog, then Forbes. And and in parallel, there were a lot of books. I've written 13 books on entrepreneurship. So 13 that, books. Wow. You kind of build up a resume, you know, like in everything else. Like <laughs> right. if you're a programmer, you build up a resume as your as a programmer. And and if you want to have a if you want to be taken seriously as a writer, you have to build up a resume as a writer. Right. I mean, your posts have had anywhere from 60 views to tens of thousands of views. What would you say are the main factors that ensure uh, maximum exposure and engagement on, on the LinkedIn? I think our most, uh, the most successful post that I have published on LinkedIn mm -hmm. has had 350,000 views. Whoa. Well, okay, so let's get into that one. Why did you, why <laughs> did you think that one got 350,000 views? It was a very controversial topic. The post, and it's been a while, so I don't remember exactly the details, but it, the post was called Talented Women, Please Do Not Quit. Right, and, okay. Uh, <laughs> it was a controversial <laughs> topic where there was one side that was very passionate about staying on their career paths and not quitting, and then there's this other side that is absolutely you know, passionate about the fact that they need to raise their children full-time, and they went at each other and went at me like you know, maniacs, and, and that <laughs> controversial oh stuff me. like that generally creates a lot of attraction. But I've had okay, many so others actually that have had more than 100,000 views. Right, right. 
So write controversial stuff. That's your tip. Sorry, <laughs> I don't know. Write controversial stuff. I actually don't right. try to sensationalize things, but I right. do have a different point of view than a lot of than what's you know available easily in the industry in 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 a lot of cases. And and so there's a natural point of view. There's it's, it's a clear point of view. It's it's a differentiated, clear point of view. And mm-hmm. what that ha- what that does is when you develop a voice and a, Trust around that voice. So what, what are people doing? If you look at people who are reading your stuff, what's happening is that people are trying to figure out whom to follow, who's, who has a point of view that is interesting and educative and etc. that this person is worth following. We do that all the time. One of the people that I follow very religiously, and, and I love his work, is Farid Zakaria, who does the GPS show on CNN and, and writes profusely on international affairs. So Farid Zakaria's analysis, point of view, voice, way, rigor with which he analyzes things, all of this resonates with me. And I follow Farid because on, on the topic of foreign affairs and you know international current affairs, this is the person that I think is the one of the final words on, on the topic. Mm-hmm. So what about he, in business? And, and so in business, that a lot of people in entrepreneurship, a lot of people think of me as their primary, you know, primary kind of shepherd into this world. Well, you have over a quarter of a million followers on LinkedIn. I mean, how do you get how do you get quarter of a million followers on LinkedIn? What, what do you do? Is it just literally write good content? Is that enough? Or do you have to do more than that? We write, I think it's mostly I write good content. And, and um, you know, part of it is I am part of the LinkedIn Influencer Program. And that program is very hard to get into. You, It's an invitation-only program. Oh, so wow. as, a, as a random person, to get to those kinds of numbers is much harder. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the influencer program, obviously, they, they promote influencer content much more heavily, but it's a highly curated set of people that are invited to be part of the program. So I, I think one of the first things was to be invited to the program, to be part of the program. And secondly, I have delivered very, very solid content. So the combination of those two. And how do you decide what to write about when you're sitting there? I mean, you write almost every single day. You, you yeah. publish a post pretty much every day. What do you decide to write about? Don't you run out of things to talk about? No, because there's a constant <laughs> stuff happening in the industry, right? There, We write about, you know, my research team stays on top of companies that we cover. You know, in our industry, trends are being shaped all the time. And, you know, we have to stay on top of those trends and, and what's happening, who's doing what, and, you know, what are the changes that are happening? What What kind of performance are people showing? Like, if you see my, you know, the last year's writings, you'll see a lot of coverage of this whole phenomenon of the unicorn mania that has happened. In tech. Yeah, we're going to get to the, we're going to get to the unicorn thing. <laughs> yeah, so part, we yeah. covered that extensively, including covering the the negative side of the whole unicorn concept. There was there's a lot of bullshit uh, developing in the unicorn area. So so we started developing a series called From Unicorn to Unicorps. So you get oh, well. these grand value valuations, but really you're kind of a shallow, not very good company. So my research team helps me put together the full research around explaining why this company is not really a unicorn. It's kind of a sham. So we, we cover everything, you know, from a very, you know, it's like a current affairs and technology perspective, trends and analysis, and also 
you know, in terms of entrepreneurship methodology, you know, experiences of entrepreneurs, role models, there's a very, mm-hmm. very sophisticated editorial strategy in, in the one million by one million portfolio. Right. You're talking about unicorns a minute ago. Now, I'll be honest with you. I have no idea what you're talking about. And I think most of the listeners, or at least a lot of listeners, would probably wonder, what, what, what do you mean by unicorn? And yeah. you wrote a post about bootstrapped unicorns and billion dollar yeah. unicorns. <laughs> what is a unicorn? Unicorn is a term that was coined by a woman called Eileen Lee in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And she runs a small venture fund called Cowboy Ventures. And she did this research on what are the companies that got to a billion dollar plus market cap in the technology startup world. And right. when she did that research, there was there were very few companies in the in a you know, period of over a period of time, there were very few companies, maybe 40, 50 companies that made that smart, made that number. Mm-hmm. And then in the last couple of years, there have been a couple of hundred companies that got to this market cap of billion dollars. And some of it has a lot of artificial bloating up. And, and this is complex stuff. So I don't necessarily want to go into how you okay. bloat up a unicorn. Um, but, but there, there are ways of doing this, this kind of like, funny financial engineering that you can do to get call yourself a unicorn by by getting to a billion dollar valuation that doesn't really actually doesn't really make sense so this mm-hmm. is why i call it you know a unicorn mania so so there's been a it's a bubble essentially you know our market goes through bubbles we've gone through the dot com right. bubble we've gone through the dot com bust we've gone through the housing bubble, the you know, financial markets go through bubbles. So this unicorn bubble is yet another bubble scenario that developed. And, and so, and it needed coverage because it was confusing people. So right. we, we provided a lot of that coverage. You've written, uh, you said 13 books, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I've been trying to write one book for over 10 <laughs> years. <laughs> Every time I start, I get stuck. I just go blank after I've written a few pages. I mean, what advice would you give to those listening, including myself here, who struggle with, with writer's block, you know, when you kind of just can't seem to write any anymore? Well, I am not the best person to advise you on that because I've never had writer's block. But... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> But part of it is probably because of the way I manage my writing life. I'm Uh constantly talking to people. If you go to my blog, you will see there are interviews with entrepreneurs continuously, running continuously. At any given time, there are two or three different interviews running in parallel in serialized fashion. Uh And every week I talk to three to six entrepreneurs for an hour each and learn about what they're doing, how they're doing, what they're doing, what can we learn from that process. And some of these entrepreneur journeys discussions, some of, these, some of these are trends discussions, what's happening in this particular segment of the industry, this particular trend, etc. And those vary, mm-hmm. range all the way from healthcare IT, artificial intelligence, big data, uh, cybersecurity, you know, cloud computing, etc., etc., etc. So, so there's such a broad amount of stuff that we cover, and and in collaboration with so many experts, I never run out of things to write about because I'm constantly learning from these people and reporting on what I'm learning from these people. And the books follow exactly the same strategy. If you look at the 12 volumes of Entrepreneur Journeys books, these are all case study-based entrepreneurship learning books. So each of them Mm -hmm. deal with a topic. 
in entrepreneurship and then each of them have 12 to 16 entrepreneur journeys case studies where I have interviewed entrepreneurs and and kind of highlighted their journeys and the lessons from the trenches and then that's I put my own commentary in mm. uh, on each of those topics so that's 12 of the 13 books the 13th book is something very different Shramani you've given me uh, a very good idea just now all I need to do is take the interviews I've done and uh, and I've got uh, case studies there with uh, stories very interesting now the term content is king right that's been thrown around for many years right yeah. but now content is king but now, now there is so much content out there um, do you still think that content is king and and how do you stand out from all the noise it's very hard it's very very hard on the one hand content is king but on the other hand there is so much garbage out there that's differentiating and rising above that noise with a differentiated, trusted, branded content is very, very hard. And and as you can see, we are we've been doing this for more than ten years. So it's it takes time and, and dedication and discipline to get there. It's it's very hard. Right. Right. You can't win and it. So what what would you recommend to I guess people looking to start up or grow their business using content? In today's world, what should they be doing differently? So you have to understand one thing is that the whole business model around content and media has collapsed. You cannot, like we don't make any money by selling advertising. We don't even sell advertising on our website. Our okay. business model is is the accelerator's business model and the content is part of the, you know, the brand of the of the accelerator as opposed to, trying to make money of the of advertising against the content so that's number one so even if you want if you publish content you kind of have to figure out what is your business model and advertising is probably not the business model that is going to help you build a significant business right well you aim to nurture a million entrepreneurs to reach a million dollars each in annual revenue i mean (laughs) i've heard the expression dream big but this is bigger than big how and by when do you plan on accomplishing this? So let me explain to you how 1M1M works. And of course, this is, again, the result of many years of experimentation and thought and, and so forth. A long time ago, it was in 2008, when, I first, when my first book was coming out, we uh, started experimenting with online mentoring. And today that has been institutionalized and has been going on for all these years. Last week, we, we hosted our 300th session, 300th mentoring roundtable. And this is a free program. It le- runs like a reality show. Every Thursday morning, I mentor entrepreneurs from around the world on a WebEx call. Oh, wow. um, for free? For free. So, so anyone listening to this can go and, and get the free mentorship? Anyone, and, and you're most welcome to come. So if you just come to our website, 1mby1m.com, and go to the free public roundtable page, you will be able to register, to pitch, or to attend. You can attend a few sessions, get a feel for what's going on, and, and then, you know, jump in and pitch one session. So you can learn a lot. There are lots of recordings available on YouTube. So this is essentially, we have, you know, three to five entrepreneurs that that I mentor every week, and we have a room full of people listening and learning through that process. It's, again, case study-based learning, as is the philosophy. And we often, several times a month, we have guests on the program for 30 minutes as well. So again, it's one way of learning. So this 
program has had, you know, over 50,000, probably close to 50,000 people participate over the years. Wow. Then we have what we call the, of course, we have all this content that we also offer for free, right? There's all the blog and the, you know, social media, LinkedIn and all that content. So a lot of people are following us and, and accessing the wisdom of the program and the methodology through the, the content. We have these books. There are 13 books that are all available on Amazon Kindle. All these are ways that we are propagating knowledge. And then what we have, we have a basic and a premium, the one-on-one and basic program and a one-on-one and premium program. That's the more intense program in the accelerator. The basic is a curriculum only video lectures and case study based offering. So you can subscribe to it on a month by month basis. It's a $99 a month a subscription. Mm-hmm. What do they get for the $99 a month that they wouldn't get access, if they were just free? Access to the one and one curriculum. That is not available outside of the – that's not available you, for free. Give me an idea of what's in that curriculum. The curriculum has – it's, you know, more than 300 hours worth of video lectures and case studies programming, and mm-hmm. it is divided into core and elective. In the core, we have about seven – major topics, and those are bootstrapping, positioning, market sizing, customer validation, customer acquisition, team building, and financing. Uh And those are all the topics that you need to learn to build a business, essentially, as a startup. Uh And then we have electives, which are aligned with the different industry areas where we see a lot of startups and and the trends align with those. That's um, e-commerce, we have a web 3.0 e-commerce module. We have cloud computing, healthcare IT, mobile and social apps, online education, etc. We even have a unicorn module there. So there's a whole bunch of electives. God, and, I'm going to start. I'm going to be dreaming about unicorns tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but what you need to need to kind of budget as you are thinking this through is you need to budget 50 to 100 hours of study time. You don't have to do 300 hours worth of curriculum, but you at least have to do 50 hours of curriculum to really un- understand wow. the, the methodology. The first time entrepreneurship is a tremendously difficult and steep learning curve. So, so let me ask you a question, Saramana, because I would say that a lot of people listening would think, well, why would I pay you know, $100 a month when you could probably get all this stuff for free online? You know, YouTube videos and blog posts and you know, there's so much content out there for free on how to start a business and how to get new clients and Facebook ads and LinkedIn and all this stuff. Why would someone pay $100 a month? Well, they could find because it it's, um, the people who do pay, pay because they want to learn from us and from a particular methodology that is working and and it has its uh, you know it's a curated methodology right you can try to assemble your own learning material but since you're doing it for the first time you're not going to be able to figure out what where you need to focus and how you need to focus you you will fumble your way through it it's just yeah. an accelerator what does an accelerator do an accelerator accelerates your learning right i hear that so, how many entrepreneurs have you helped reach a million dollars so far we don't publish these numbers. I'm going to let me finish telling you how the program works and then I'll tell you okay. some numbers that we do publish. Okay, um, sure. So that's the basic program. And then the premium program is a one year annual membership fee program where you get unlimited access to not only the curriculum, but we do have private mentoring sessions. So these are the private roundtables for members only and where mm-hmm. you can actually get coaching, ask questions, get coaching and, and so forth. And we provide introductions. So 
you depending on what stage you're in, what you need introductions, what kind of introductions you need. You could be needing introductions to potential customers, channel partners, investors, media, analysts, other advisors, other you know business people that you need to connect with. We have a very heavy-duty Rolodex. And wow. to all our members in the premium program, that Rolodex is available. So we will make introductions as and when appropriate. We mm. help so that, could, that, that alone could be worth a lot of money. That's worth a lot of money. I mean, right. if you listen to the 300th roundtable, there was a woman who came to the program. She, she's an alumni of the program. She came uh, and talked. She was giving me an update at the 300th session. And this recording is available on YouTube. When she came to us, she had just lost a major customer, which was Kodak, because Kodak went into bankruptcy. Oh, my. Yeah. And she's in a... Custom online, custom jewelry business, photo merchandising, basically. And mm. I got her into Shutterfly, which has become wow. number one account now. I knew the CEO of Shutterfly introduced her, and, and Shutterfly wow. has become her number one account now. That's so incredible. These are, I mean, this is like many, the ROI of that kind of program is, is huge just because of the, the broad range of stuff that we provide and we provide huge ability to get the word out of your product about your product about your service because we have a huge footprint as you pointed out we i have 250,000 followers on linkedin so it's a very large platform so if you want to get the word out about what you're doing we have huge ability to do that and that also we do for our members mm-hmm. so this is the premium program. I talked about basic, which is curriculum only. And the premium program is curriculum plus introductions, mentoring, you know, media coverage, etc, etc. So it's a, you know, nonetheless, you know, it's still a very inexpensive program. And that is happening because of our stated philosophy that we want to democratize entrepreneurship, education and incubation. Right. So now, yeah, you you talked about about the numbers. numbers. I asked about the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, across our different channels, approximately we are today touching close to 300,000 people. And wow. uh, and we don't have exactly what these people are doing, how they're progressing, because a lot of people, as you can tell, are using the program for free. And yes. they don't really report to us what they're doing. We hear anecdotally people, you know, come and tell us that, oh, I, you know, followed your advice and the blah, blah, blah happened and, and et cetera. So that, you know, it's hard to report on that. But we do know that there's a large percent, large number of people who are following the program at different levels. The number on the roundtables, the free mentoring roundtables is over 50,000 people have wow. been attending these sessions over the years. And it's been a number of years now. So we launched the one-on-one program in, at the end of 2010. The roundtables even predate that because that's the experiment that led us to 1 million by 1 million. Mm. So these are the numbers that we disclose. We don't disclose how many premium members. We don't disclose anything about the performance of the premium members. However, if you go to our website, there's a piece that we pub series that we published called the Million Dollar Club, where we have shared case studies of entrepreneurs in the program who have hit $1 million. Okay. They've actually hit more million dollars and they, and people could find that on your website. I'm going to put yeah. a link in the show notes. Yeah. So if anybody wants to, to they, they can access it um, on, in the show notes. That's right. What would, you, <laughs> what would you say are some of the most common mistakes that startups make? 
The biggest thing that I see that really annoys the hell out of me is people are chasing <laughs> investors instead of chasing customers. Ah, I love it. And that is the wrong order. You have to get customers first before investors are even willing to talk to you. So don't waste your time chasing investors. Mm. I hear that you host art salons in your home in Silicon Valley. Is that just a hobby? (laughs) We are really into it. My husband and I are really into the arts and and we try to do whatever we can with the arts. (laughs) Now, I also want to just share a quote from one of your articles. I really like this. My humble advice to all those who are trying to learn leadership is to achieve clarity in your own mind first on what you want to achieve. Clarity is the highest form of human intelligence. Now, I love that piece of advice. Can you share with our listeners the best way to achieve that clarity? Well, I'm going to answer it at two different levels. Let mm-hmm. me do the easy one first. If you are trying to achieve clarity in the context of your entrepreneurial venture, your project, yep. there is something that I'm going to point, it to point you to. It's a tool. It's a free tool. You go to our website and click on the 1M1M self-assessment. Mm-hmm. And there's okay. a series of questions that you need to ask yourself. If you were to stand in front of an investor and give a pitch, these are the questions that the investor is trying to get answers to. And the way I look at it is you are going to be investing several years of your life on your entrepreneurial venture. Therefore, okay. that automatically makes you an investor in your company. And you should be asking yourself these questions, whether or not you're going for outside financing and investors asking you these questions or not, you should be asking yourself these questions and answering these questions so that you can get to, you know, meaningful answers and clarity around those issues. And that will help you, you know, really come up with a crisp, clean business strategy. That level of clarity is going to take you miles forward in your entrepreneurial journey. And that is something that I think is a must. Now, the second level at which you could ask the question is more at a philosophical level about your life, about how you navigate your life and so forth. And, you know, I think a lot and I, I am very brutally intellectually honest with myself on what I do, why you do, why I do what I do and what I want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, People have this tendency of lying to themselves and creating realities that are kind of, they help you cope with the actual reality, but they really are not the reality. They're kind of, you know, fake realities that you create to to kind of shield yourself from certain realities and truths that you don't want to face. That mm. is not the way to get to clarity at all. Right. Why do you do what you do? Why do I do what, I, what I'm doing? Like, Mm-hmm. You're asking about in the context of one million by one million? Yeah. I'm asking, yeah, you just mentioned because you said that you're brutally honest with what you do. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, I, 1M1M is kind of like the culmination of a lot of things that I've done with my career. I, you know, I did three startups. I am a computer scientist for MIT. I, you know, I have a certain, I did 10 years of consulting in the technology business and so forth. And, and there's a certain amount of, knowledge and expertise that I developed and I wanted to do something that is high impact and and will make a difference and um, philosophically also I came to the conclusion even though I have always been a big believer in capitalism Mm -hmm. right around when the 2008 financial crisis was happening I came to the conclusion that 
uh, capitalism was going kind of in a direction that is not what I believe in. Capitalism was becoming dominated by speculators, and it's creating a fortune at the tip of the pyramid system, and a system that is highly you know, tilted towards speculators as opposed to value creators. Mm. And so I wanted to, you know, focus on more that value creation oriented capitalism, the entrepreneurial capitalism that I actually believe in. And I thought that this, you know, fortune at the tip of the pyramid system needed to be changed such that more fortune in the middle of the pyramid can be unlocked and more entrepreneurs can be equipped and empowered to be successful. Now, the other observation that I came up with in that process right around the same time is that over 99% of the entrepreneurs who go out to seek venture capital financing get rejected. And that's for good reason, because they don't fit the venture capital model, which is looking for very fast growth, very large market opportunity, billion dollar, multi-billion dollar market opportunity types of businesses. And those are very rare. However, there are many more $5 million, $10 million, $15 million, $20 million businesses out there, business opportunities out there, and you can build fine lifestyles and fine you know, successes and careers pursuing those businesses. And people pursuing those types of businesses need to be given the same kind of support and education and acceleration that the VC-style companies get. So my right. idea was to take the tribal knowledge of Silicon Valley, of this world that I have lived in this venture capital driven entrepreneurship world <laughs> and democratize it to the whole world, to all kinds of entrepreneurs and, and build what I call fortune in the middle of the pyramid. That's incredible. That's amazing. There are many people listening who are thinking of starting a business, but are not ready to quit their job and make yeah. the leap. What would your advice be for them? I don't think you need to quit your job to start a business. I've written a book on this topic, Bootstrapping with a Paycheck. We have numerous entrepreneurs in the one-on-one program that follow this principle of holding on to the, their job and starting to build the business, starting to validate the business on the side. And we are perfectly happy to help you do that. And I actually recommend you do that because this phase, the time it takes to get to a validated business is long and you do need to pay the bills during that time. And this is a time when it's very hard to raise money. So keep your job. Samana, what's the best way my listeners can get in touch with you? 1M by 1M.com. And there is a tremendous amount of information. You can find, you can definitely reach us there. And through this, it's support at 1M by 1M.com. We'll get you into our company. And depending on your question, the right person will respond. But there is a tremendous amount of information on the website. And please do come to the roundtables. You know, let's talk. You know, come to the roundtables and talk to me. Right. Amazing. Sramana, you are a true inspiration. Thanks so much for letting me pick your brain. And thank you to all my fellow listeners for tuning in. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to DanielGeffen.com.